Well, good morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Good morning and Merry Christmas. How you guys doing? I said, how you doing? When I, you know, when I say how you doing, you can say, no, how you doing? That's very good. Very good. Hey, before, my name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter and Grace Marriage, and Steve asked me to do a Christmas message. Don't know what he was thinking, but it's okay. I love Christmas. How many people love Christmas? It's a good time of year, right? Before we get started, we have a, uh, a couple in the audience uh, that's with, church, with us at church, Will and Laura Sally. Are you guys here? Where are you guys? Yeah, uh, they're missionaries on their way to Spain, and uh, give, them a, give them a hand. Give them a hand. After the service, if you'd like to encourage them in the lobby, please do so. God, we just pray for Will and Laura Sally, that you'd bless uh, their hands as they head off to Spain and uh, to do your work. But I, I pray for a, a blessing over them, favor over them, protection over them, and for you to use them to expand your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, well, we got to get to the most important stuff first if I'm going to do a, a Christmas message. Uh, this is participation, uh, class participation. What is your favorite classic Christmas movie? Is it this one? How many like that one? What about this one? Next one, It's Wonderful Life, you guys. Now, I'm from New York, so which one do you think I'm going to pick? Next one, please. That one. Elf. That's the best classic. Notice I put it in the group of classics. Now, if you had a Christmas destination, uh, place, not, not, not a destination, let's talk about shopping first. How many of you were out of the gate on Black Friday? I see some of you. Remember, your picture's up there. Those are COS people. How many people are last minute shoppers like Ryan and you're the only two people in the mall on Christmas Eve? That's Steve, Steve and Sue right there. Last year, shopping on Christmas Eve. Uh, how many people got their shopping done in July? Anybody? There's encounter for you if you finished in July. What about destinations? Uh, if you had a place, a dream destination, Christmas vacation, uh, not with the Oswalds, but if you had a place to go, where would you go? Would it go to Aspen maybe? Anybody been? I've been to Aspen. Great place. Beautiful. What about this place? I've been there too. Hawaii? Isn't that a great place? What about this place? So nice they had to name it twice, New York, New York. For Christmas, there's no better place to be than New York. I know what some of you are thinking. What about Gatlinburg, right? That's what you're thinking. Well, the Apostle Paul preached about Gatlinburg in the book of Galatians. He said, you foolish Galatians, who told you to wait two hours in front of a pancake house for pigs in a blanket that I didn't even sanction from heaven? It's in chapter 3. Check it out for yourself. Realistically, if the, the correct answer, the most common answer, if I would ask you where would you spend Christmas, most of you would say family, right? We want to be with family. And typically Christmas is probably for many of us the only time of year we get to see family if they're there at all. And many of us lose hope uh, during Christmas because this will be another Christmas for some that has come and gone where a child does not come home. A parent who left doesn't come home. And the brokenness of families for hundreds and hundreds of reasons make Christmas the most difficult time instead of the most wonderful time of the year for so many. And this may be another Christmas 
where the loss of a loved one is not there again. And for some, this will be the first year you experience Christmas without them. I know so many of our dear friends, my dear friends that lost loved ones just this year. And even though you're grieving and grieving well with the help of God and with the help of a loving church, and I thank God for the people that minister uh, to those who are grieving at this church, it still makes it a difficult time of year, doesn't it? But there's hope in Christmas, knowing that Jesus came to save us from our sins, give us an eternal home in heaven, where one day we will see our king face to face and we will see our loved ones once again. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. And there is hope this Christmas that this child would one day wipe every tear from our eyes and show us the bottle that he's been collecting those tears in and the book that he's been recording every restless night. Do you know God records your restless nights in a book? The psalmist said it this way, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God has kept a record and he's waiting with a loving hand when you see him face to face to wipe every tear from your eyes. Now, growing, in, growing up in New York in a crazy, dysfunctional Italian family, a family that you never wanted to take out in public because they were socially challenged, Christmas was actually very important to them. It was a big deal. My mom had nothing. My dad left when I was six months old, left, left her to raise three kids on her own with no money, no support from anybody. But somehow, somehow, my mom uh, made sure that we had Christmas, made sure there were presents underneath the tree every year. But yet, even as a child, I could see the emptiness that was there. An emptiness that only a babe in a manger that came to be with us and save us could only fill. I just want to take a moment to thank all of you who helped us collect toys for recovery this month because yesterday over 100 plus children received presents that they weren't expecting and the guys from recovery and Breaking Free Ministries, Revive Lifehouse were able to go shopping for their children and their families and every single one of those participants walked out there with with bags this big, with so much joy and gratefulness, and I'm grateful for you as a church. Your generosity filled up the entire student center with toys from, from front to back. The place, I'm telling you, it was a miracle. It was a miracle of Christmas. Thank you for your gen- generosity. Um, but now this is, I just want to warn you ahead of time. This is a trick question. How many here have a perfect family? Good. She, there, uh, security, we have, an, we have an issue in aisle 20. <laughs> it's, you know, we all have, when, if we're honest, we all have messed up families. We all have some dysfunction. Uh, maybe yours aren't as bad as mine. Uh, but the, every family has problems. Every family, every family's messed up. There's no such thing as the Waltons, the perfect TV family. You ever watch that show? Let me tell you something. I'm 62 years old. I'm from New York. I've never seen an episode of the Waltons. Don't plan to. I know. It doesn't qualify for me to be up here. I get that. But uh, I've never seen it. Heard about it. My wife loves the Waltons. Uh, What about this for families? Here's a big Christmas gift that people are giving out for Christmas. Ancestry DNA. 
Has anyone tried one of those? Where you find out your family lineage, your genealogy, and all that stuff. I gave it to my daughter several years ago. She's still in therapy, finding out what she discovered. Yeah, it's not good. You see, I know enough about people in my lineage that if I would die deeper, there's no telling what they may find. Just from what I know, my biological dad left when I was six months old. I never got to see my, my physical, my, my biological father. But I did some research. I actually found his brother and his mother, my grandmother, later in years. And uh, his brother was actually an actor. Uh, and he actually was the face of Dracula on TV in the 60s and 70s. He hosted a TV show from 1963 to 1969 called Fright Night, dressed as Dracula. Anyone remember that show? Yeah, <laughs> that's my uncle. Okay, and he was the fa- he did all the Dracula commercials on TV in the 60s and 70s. At the end of his career, he wound up being a comedian. He was on the Johnny Carson show and Ed Sullivan show, you know, a bunch of times. Listen, that explains a lot of questions you've had about me since I've come on staff, doesn't it, right? Think about that, a comedian. I tried it, it didn't work, trust me. So what does ancestry DNA have to do with Christmas and looking at our family lineage? Well, I know of an extremely dysfunctional family filled with murderers, prostitutes, incest, drunks, just to name a few of their shortcomings that through generations and thousands of years, they're pretty dysfunctional as well too. I'm talking about none other than the genealogy and bloodline of Jesus Christ himself. When you study the Bible... I mean, I, one of the reasons why I love studying the Bible, it's full of imperfect people. Just like there is, is no perfect person, there's no perfect family, there's no perfect church. Okay, I know you love this church, but if you find a perfect church, don't go to it, you'll ruin it. Okay. There's no, there's no such thing as perfection, that's why we need a, a Savior. And that gives me hope, because God gives second chances and mercy to people like me and you. Anybody grateful for his mercy today? Maybe today you wonder if God can give you a second chance. Maybe today you wonder if God's mercy can be extended to you. Think about it. All the flawed and messed up people, not only in the lineage of Jesus, but just in the Bible itself. When you read the Bible, I mean, Adam was passive. Joseph was bullied. Moses stuttered. David was a peeping Tom, adulterer and murderer to boot. Rahab was the prostitute. Isaiah preached with no clothes and shoes for three years. Who does that? Okay, and listen, another thing I just want to give thanks to was our, our staff just had two nights of our play, which was the most amazing play I think we've, we've ever had. It was just, I just want to thank our staff. I want to thank our volunteers. I want to thank all who participated in it. It was just an amazing thing. And, uh, there, were, there was like 25 people uh, that gave their lives to Jesus on Friday. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing to see uh, just that. And I thank God that all the characters, I, I mean, I loved Isaiah. I mean, my friend Buck played, played Isaiah. I'm glad you didn't play that part, okay, for three years. No, we don't, name, we don't need anyone walking around Buck naked, you know. <laughs> thank you, thank you, but think about all the messed up people. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I mean, Jonah ran away from God. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. Saul, who had become Paul, killed Christians. Martha worried and complained about everything. 
The woman at the well divorced five times. Timothy, young, and had an ulcer. John the Baptist ate bugs. He ate bugs. Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? Are you still thinking God can't use you? Are you still thinking God can't forgive you? God can't heal you? God can't turn things around in your family if you're the only one that's following Jesus? Anybody need a Christmas miracle? Nothing is impossible for God. God's proved that over and over and over through messed up people in the Bible. Well, what does this have to do with Christmas again, I, I ask you? Everything. Because when you look at the Christmas story found in Matthew and Luke, the only Gospels who give an account of the Christmas story, most people skip over the genealogy and the lineage bloodline of Jesus Christ. For most, it's just a long list of names I can hardly pronounce. But there's a profound message in the lineage and genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, genealogies were important to the Jews, for without them, they could not prove their tribal memberships or their rights to inheritances. And anyone claiming to be the son of David had to be able to prove it. So these things were important, and we tend to skip over it. We tend to look past it. But when you re- even when you bypass it and go right to the Christmas story, like in Luke 2, 1 through 4, you can see how important these genealogies are. And it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. And that's important. One note about this decree. Augustus Caesar was ruling, but make no mistake, God was in charge. God was still calling the shots. He used Caesar's decree to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. Rome took a census every 14 years for both military and tax purposes, and each Jewish male had to return to the city of his father's to record his name, occupation, property, and family. And like resumes and first dates, they sometimes get edited. We tend to only tell the good. We don't want to put the good, the bad, and the ugly. On a first date, you don't tell about your last breakup. On an interview, you don't tell about the three places you got fired from and what happened. And it wasn't uncommon for people to list their genealogies and leave certain people out. Typically, they would leave women out. But the genealogy of Jesus has women in there, five in particular, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Why is that? Well, I believe so that we can see that Jesus came to restore broken lives and restore shattered hope. And again, there's nothing impossible for God. And that God will accomplish his will despite us despite the mistakes that we make, despite how messed up we are, despite where we came from, despite the family and the circumstances around us. You see, Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's always been the Christmas message. It's always been the reason why he came, not just to have a day to go shopping. And the Christmas story begins with something technical and not once upon a time. It's about God's solution for our sins. And I love this time of year because even when I read... Scriptures in the New Testament, like Galatians 4 through 4 through 7, it tells me the Christmas story. 
where we, I normally don't see it. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. That's Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. The time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's important. To redeem those under the law, that's you and I. We're born under the law, found guilty by the law. Because to meet the standard of the law means per- perfection. And again, no one is perfect. And to stand before a holy God, we have to be holy. And the only way that we can be declared holy is by his blood. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He came to redeem us. That we might re- receive adoption to sonship. In other words, we're grafted into his family. And because you are his sons, don't ever forget that, that no matter what happens to you, no matter what you may think, no matter what you may feel, no matter what's going on in and around you, you are a son of the Most High God. You are a daughter of the Most High God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You're a child of the King. So the next time someone asks you, who are you? Tell them, listen, I'm a child of the king. My father in heaven is bunkers about me. That's your identity. Don't miss your identity this Christmas season. You are his sons. You are his daughters. Now, this is what I like to call the bonus plan because my friend Danny Velasco from the Brooklyn Tabernacle in his testimony would say, when I got saved, God went so much further. And you know what? God goes so much further in your lives. He goes further than just saving us from our sins. He says, he says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. That's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who's praying the perfect prayer to the Father for you and invites you to pray in the spirit with him, the perfect prayer for you. What's he praying? Well, here's, here's what he's praying for as well. So you are no longer a slave. A slave to what? A slave to sin. So that we can be free from sin, but God's child. There's another identity statement. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir to the throne. In other words, in Ephesians, the Bible says that we are sealed as an inheritance by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Last I looked, Holy Spirit, God the Father, his son never lost a single soul. Nothing can snatch us from the palm of God. That's how big his palms are. See, Jesus didn't come to just save us from our sins. He goes so much further. He came to fix us. He came to set us free. He came to set the captives free. He came to put broken, messed up lives back together. He came to hear our cries. He came to lift us up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire to set our feet upon a rock so that we will have a firm place to stand, so that there will be a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, so that many will see it and fear God. He came to raise the dead, heal the sick, break every chain, every yoke of bondage in our lives so that we can walk free in Jesus' name. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life abundantly, and that's what he came for. That's what he died for. That's what he came back from the grave for, and that's what the message of Christmas reminds us in Jesus' name. Amen? Jesus said it this way in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight 
for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this year is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year the chains are coming off. This is the year that families are going to be restored. This is the year of miracles. And no matter how messed up you are, no matter how messed up your family is, he came to make your mess his masterpiece. You can't spell the name Messiah without the word mess. You just can't. And there's something about that name, isn't there? Isn't it a wonderful name? Isn't it a beautiful name? The name above all names? That you can speak the name of Jesus with authority and the demons tremble and flee in Jesus' name. There's something about that name. His name is wonderful. His name is beautiful. You know, Jesus is wonderful in a way that's boggling to the mind. The same word for wonderful is used in Judges 13, 18, when Manoah, Samson's father, asked the Lord what his name was. I believe it was God, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord responded, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? In other words, why do you ask my name, since seeing that it is beyond your understanding? And Jesus demonstrated his wonderfulness in various ways when he was on earth, beginning with his conception in the womb of a virgin that was wonderful and beyond our understanding. He healed the sick, cast out demons, destroyed the works of the devil, defeats death, the cross, the grave, the tomb, everything. That's wonderful and beyond our understanding. He accomplished everything he set out to do when he yelled out to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. He overcame sin and death to restore fellowship with us so that we can be part of his family forever and ever in such a wonderful demonstration that is beyond our understanding. What a beautiful, wonderful name the name of Jesus is. Why don't you just love that name? Why don't you just say it out loud? Say, just say, Jesus. Oh, isn't that beautiful? See, the name Jesus means Savior. It comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Now, there were many boys with the name Joshua, but Mary's boy was called Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means anointed, and it is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. He is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his his official title. Emmanuel describes who he is, God with us. We find his name, Emmanuel, in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Back to the genealogies. There are two of them, one in Matthew, one in Luke. Some say they're contradictions, but they're not. They're complementary, and the reason is really, really simple. Matthew's genealogy is the lineage coming through Joseph, and Luke's genealogy is the lineage coming through Mary. Both were important. In Matthew, Joseph is not identified as the father of Jesus, but the husband of Mary. And scripture is clear that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. God is. And since Jesus had no human father, 
He could not be a descendant of David except through his mother. But the legal right to rule always came through the father's side. If you can get that one up there. Thus, we have two necessary genealogies connecting Christ to David. Let's consider some of the characters found in Matthew chapter 1. First, there's King David, the great King David. A man after my own heart, God said. He will do everything I ask him to do. That's the first thing ever said about David. Last thing ever said about David was he served God's purpose in his generation and then he died. It's the last thing ever said about David. But in between those bookmark statements of his life, David had some moral failures, spiritual failures. He took a time out from, from war and found himself on a rooftop, committed adultery, murder, ran away from God. Yet David is probably the most important person in the genealogy of Jesus. So so critical and so amazing is his grace um, that he would find himself, uh, that David himself would find himself in the messianic line of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is referred to as the son of David. That's how important David is in this line. And then there's Tamar, who wouldn't even be allowed in the temple. She was a Gentile, along with Ruth and Rahab. She did a little role-playing later in her life to spruce things up because she wanted a child. And who does she does her role-playing with? None other than her father-in-law. This is some sick stuff here. Okay? And she's in the Messianic line. And then there's Rahab. She was guilty of prostitution, except she did it for a living. She was the one who helped the two spies, the Israeli spies, scout out the promised land that Joshua was trying to overtake. And she's included in the Messianic line. And her life was spared as the wife of Salmon, the mother of of Boaz, who became David's great-grandfather. And then there's Ruth, another Gentile, She married one of the two sons from a woman named Naomi. Remember her? Her two sons' names were Malin and Chilion. Their names meant sickly and pinely. Why would you name your kids that? Both of them died. And so Ruth marries Malin. He dies. Of course, she wants another husband. She knows Naomi. Can help her. Years go by, she follows Naomi and says, remember this, wherever you and your Lord go, I will follow. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And she marries Boaz. She was a Moabite. Anything with ite on the end is not good in the Bible. If there's an ite on the end, it's not good. You say, so what? Do you know where the Moabites came from? Well, kids, close your ears. When Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, he had sexual relations with his daughter, and the product of that union was a child named Moab who produced a, ch- a tribe called the Moabites. And they became one of the major enemies of Israel, and out of this line comes Ruth, who enters into the messianic line of the Savior of the world. How far does God's grace really go? <laughs> oh, man. They don't, I mean, I mean then, and then there's my uncles. No, 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 we're not going to get into them. Then there's Bathsheba. 
She's not even referred to as Bathsheba, but the wife of Uriah, and that's important. So Uriah was one of David's mighty men. If you were one of David's mighty men, it was, there was, it was beyond, they were beyond loyal. They loved David. And here David gets his wife pregnant, and what does every man after God's own heart do? Gets, he gets her husband whacked, kills him. It's a mob thing in New York, whack. We could say whacked up here. I mean, when you think about the whole thing, the sin, the dysfunction, the, the adultery, the murder, the, the, the how messed up everything is, it gives me hope that if God accomplished his promises through people like that and was never going to be denied his mission and plan to come into this world as a babe in a manger, to extend his his love towards you, how much more is he willing to do that today at Church of the Savior this morning, the Sunday before Christmas? Even if you made a mess of your life, even if the people in your family have made a mess of their lives, God wants to make a mess, his masterpiece, and make you all a trophy of his grace. I want to tell you today that even if you're the only one in your family, that believes in God, that is saved. There is hope for your family. Don't ever give up on another person because God would never give up on them. Don't ever give up on your family. Don't ever give up on your prodigal. Don't ever give up on that person strung out with strongholds too many to count. Nothing is impossible for God. There's always hope. And that brings us to Mary. Mary was a virtuous and morally pure woman, chosen to be the mother of the, of the Messiah. She's just a peasant girl, engaged to a nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making nowhere plans for nobody. I mean, the Beatles weren't even around then. It was a godless city called Nazareth, sort of like a pass-through city, a place known for immorality. It had a wicked reputation and it wasn't uncommon for the Roman soldiers to plummet and pummel through the town, take advantage of the women and the children, steal everything, destroy everything, rape the women. I mean, it was just so sick. It was a, I mean, it was just an ungodly town. You've heard the scripture, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, right? Yet we have Mary, who somehow remains morally pure. I don't know, 12, 13, 14, the Bible doesn't say for sure. But you may want to write this down. Mary is the only person that ever lived who had Jesus in her womb and Jesus in her heart. She was the only person that ever had Jesus in her womb and in her heart. And we pick up the story in Luke, the Christmas story. 126, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David genealogy. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great 
and he will be called the son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary was a woman of true humility. And look at how the angel Gabriel meets Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, some have taken that statement and made it into a prayer and maybe even an idolatrous prayer at that. I mean, I was taught to pray that as a kid growing up in New York. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. Now in the hour of our death, amen. As if Mary could save anyone from their sins, she can't. Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us, and she knew it. She was just shocked to find out she was chosen to carry the Son of God in her womb. She later went on to say, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She said, the Lord has done great things for me. She knew she needed a Savior. I mean, 11 years ago, we were hit with the, the news you never want to hear. I've shared this before. Christmas time, Carolyn was diagnosed with breast cancer. I went to the meeting with her, with the doctor, where the doctor told her those words. She never said a word. Never said a word back to me. We got in the car. Carolyn turned around, looked at me straight in the eye with a, with a confidence in her that I knew the spirit of the Lord came on her. And she said this to me, her first words out of her mouth after the diagnosis, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord for he has done great things for me. And God heard her praise before he even heard her prayer and God healed her of cancer. And she's cancer-free 11 years by the grace of God. See, we don't need to pray to her or through her, but we need to recognize that Mary was chosen by God. We don't give her enough credit sometimes. One last character, Joseph. He's sort of the unsung hero in this whole deal, right? And you don't hear songs about Joseph. Joseph, did you know? You know, you don't hear that. But just as surely as God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus... He chose Joseph to be the stepfather of Jesus on earth. Jesus grew up like any other boy, and Joseph was a great dad. He was a just man. So here we have two morally, sexually pure people up to this point, and then the conversation that Mary's dreading, Joseph doesn't want to have. Joseph was shocked to hear this news. She sits him down. I don't know how it went down, but she goes, Joseph, the one I love. The one I'm loyal to. I'm pregnant. And the Holy Spirit knocked me up. I mean, how's that going to go? You think about it. I mean, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I'm carrying God's child. Now, if you're Joseph, what are you thinking? Have you lost your mind? Was it a bad dream? Are you really pregnant? And then if he's believing her that she is pregnant... Is he thinking who, what, when, how, where? That's what we think, right? If you get that type of news, it's not good news. And so she's thinking, he's thinking, 
this girl that I thought I knew is lying to me. He knew that she was lying. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't, he didn't go around telling everyone about it. He didn't go around trying to get, have a, you know, there wasn't the prophet uh, Povich around, Maury, to prove who was the father and all this stuff. He kept it to himself because he didn't call anyone because Joseph was a man of great character and restraint. There's something about the character of Joseph that we need to realize is in this story. See, he was a meek man. You know what meek is? Meek is not weak. Meek is strength under control. It's one of the attributes of Jesus. Strength under control. Meek is never weak. And the Bible says this. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because and, and, and who would believe a story like that? Who would? believe a story like that. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now listen, there's a reason why I call the ministry Encounter Encounter. There's a reason why our mission statement is lives transformed by the presence of God here at COS. Because we know that one encounter with the living God in his presence can change everything. And the Christmas story is no different. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, don't miss this, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph could have walked away before that encounter, but he didn't. Mary could have ran away, but she believed and obeyed. Matter of fact, Mary went on to say, May it be to me as you said in Luke 1, 38. This is a 13 or so old person saying, may it be to me as you said. And she believed and obeyed. Joseph believed and obeyed. I can't tell you how many couples I have counseled throughout the years that have gone through trouble that just bail out because they don't believe and obey. They don't believe in God's grace. They don't believe in God's forgiveness. They don't believe in God's power. They don't believe in God's mercy. They don't believe that God specializes in impossible situations and that nothing is impossible for God and that God can turn a situation around and create grace and love like there never was and restore marriages and restore families like no other God that I know. That's why there is only one true God in the world. And his name is Jesus. So what do we learn from this amazing story? There's hope in our mess. There's hope in your mess. There's hope in our empty lives. There's hope and we've blown it a thousand times. There's hope even though our family tree may be full of dysfunction. The hope of Christmas is not giving and receiving presents. It's about receiving the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, into your life. 
A pastor and storyteller, Robert J. Morgan, once wrote, Most people don't understand Christmas. They never think beyond the babe in a manger. But Christmas is about emptiness, an empty throne, an empty manger, an empty cross, an empty tomb, all of which fill our empty hearts. It's a circuit. When Jesus traveled from heaven to earth, he used a round-trip ticket with stops along the way. He left the throne for the manger, the manger for the cross, the cross for the tomb, and the tomb for the throne. And he left blessings behind at every stop. He emptied himself so that we might be filled. And that's the true story of Christmas. That means that Jesus came into the world with the cross in mind. And since God cannot die, the second person of the Trinity entered into the human race to the virgin womb of Mary, taking on flesh and becoming a man. He did this to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He was born to die, and he died to rise again. And because of his death, we can live forgiven. And because of his resurrection, we can live forever. And that's why an empty Christmas is so fulfilling. And friends, Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to set things right. My prayer for you this Christmas is that you experience an empty Christmas so that you may be filled with joy and peace and know that Emmanuel, Emmanuel is always, always with you. And you are never alone. You may think that you're alone, but with Emmanuel, God with us, You are never alone. And I pray that you empty yourself and let the babe who came for you fill you with the present and presence of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that you wouldn't miss the wonder and real reason why we celebrate Christmas. And I pray that this would be the best Christmas for you and your family ever. When we launched Encounter, by the way, last week was Encounter's six-year anniversary of the ministry of Encounter, starting in California. A friend of mine, a pastor of a church called the Sanctuary Church in Santa Clarita, California, allowed us to use their building. Uh, great pastor, Pastor Marty Walker. You know what he called the sanctuary? The Father's house. That's what he called the sanctuary. And he let us run encounter there where so many lives were changed. He said this a couple weeks ago. He said, what we hope for shapes what we live for. Let me ask you, what are you hoping for this Christmas? What are you hoping for this Christmas? Because what you hope for will shape what you live for. And reality for you as you're hearing this is the fact that circumstances for you and your family may not be perfect right now. Matter of fact, it may be hard. Or it may be extremely difficult. So when I look at the Christmas story in Luke 2.14, and the angel of the Lord says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. I find comfort knowing that it's God's desire that we, you and I, experience his peace and find that his favor rests on us. I pray that God's favor be upon you, his face shine upon you, and you find rest in that. You see, when the angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, their proclamation highlighted the ultimate purpose of Jesus' role to establish peace between us and God. More than 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 
gave us this prophetic snapshot of God's plan to enter history as the Prince of Peace. In fact, Jesus described the peace he could deliver as something quite different than what the world can offer him. He said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Never be afraid. Jesus didn't promise a peace the world would understand, but rather his peace to us. His peace to us. Isaiah, who declared Jesus' title, also described how he would establish peace between us and God. He said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Friends, that's salvation. The Prince of Peace made possible the absence of enmity between us and God. Our sins, our transgressions, and iniquities are forgiven because Christ took it upon himself on the cross. And if we embrace him by faith, we too can be forgiven. When we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, we're also receiving him as the Prince of Peace, the Peace, the Prince who established our peace with God. Alongside peace with God, Jesus also offers us peace from God. This peace is more like the Old Testament concept of shalom, noted in Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Anybody need peace like that? Anybody need peace because you're anxious? You're worried? You're fearful? When the Apostle Paul told us, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Who can explain that? What in the world can offer that? Who in the world can offer that? There's no money that can match that. There's no job that can match that. There's no present that can match that. That's a gift. That's an amazing gift to have that type of peace. That in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the storm, that you can have that peace that only the Prince of Peace can offer. Now, peace from God affects every relationship in our lives, but the best peace he came to offer is the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. I think this is the most difficult one to experience. It's the deep confidence, watch this, that he's in control. And that he'll work out everything for our good, for those who love him, obey him, and are called according to his purpose. And what begins as peace with God grows into peace from God between us and others, then matures into the peace of God within us. Within us. Jesus Christ, the Son born, the child given, the Prince of Peace makes all this possible for you, for your family, for me, and everyone else. Here's a peace thought for you this Christmas season. Worship team, you guys can start coming out. Personal obedience to God always leads to personal peace from God. Remember the life of Joseph and Mary. They prayed, they believed. And obeyed. They believed and obeyed. Really simple. 
What was the result of Joseph and Mary obeying God in the middle of the chaos? It was the peace that came from the Prince of Peace right smack in the middle of the chaos. They would testify that when there is chaos around us, there is calm and peace inside of us. When there is chaos around us, there is calm and peace inside of us. In the Christmas story, there's peace, there's calm, and there's chaos. But in the middle of those spectrums is the radical obedience of Joseph and Mary. Christmas story never happens without the radical obedience of Joseph and Mary. So here's, there's never any formulas, but I heard Charles Stanley say this, and I've listened to this, and I've, I've applied this to my life, and I will tell you that this works. See, when I obey, and I trust, and I believe, and I pray, and I wait, And here comes the hard part. And I leave the results to God. In other words, I deposited everything. No matter how hard the situation is. No matter how bleak the diagnosis is. No matter how many years that prodigal's been gone. No matter what she said. No matter how vile a thing they did to me. When I obey, trust, believe, pray, and wait. And leave the results to God. There's an overwhelming river of peace that floods my soul, body, and mind that can't be explained with words. But that's the hard part. I've got to obey, trust, believe, pray, wait, but I've got to somehow deposit it into the hands of Jesus, whose hand is being extended to you this morning. Because it really all depends on whose hand it's in. And I used to play basketball. Basketball in my hands is worth probably about 1995 right now. But in the hands of Jesus, it's worth nails and salvation and forgiveness and peace and a second chance and a third chance and a thousand chance and another call of mercy to you to experience the Prince of Peace one more time. Whatever the burden is, Whatever the pain is, whatever the problem is, whatever the situation is, God wants you to deposit it in his hands, in his hands for you tonight, this morning. And this Christmas, the Prince of Peace wants to shower you with the gift of his peace. The question is, will you let him? Because in the middle of your calm and chaos is the choice to obey God. And how you respond to the obedience God wants from you will determine what type of Christmas and what type of life you'll have. One of peace or one of chaos. And the God who knows each star by name knows your pain. And this Christmas, he knows how much peace you need. And the question is, will you accept this amazing gift that the world doesn't offer? And maybe the best present you'll find this Christmas season is to rest in his presence where you can experience peace this Christmas. Maybe you really didn't know what to get this Christmas for those you love, but may I suggest that you bring home Jesus and bring home gifts of forgiveness, grace, love, peace, kindness, patience, long-suffering. Maybe bring home the gift of seeing your family through the eyes of Jesus. 
and loving them with his heart instead of seeing their faults. One last scripture as we close. Famous scripture, Christmas scripture. We see it. Christmas story ends with this. I've seen it for years, but I've never seen it like I did this year. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I've read that for years. It never really dawned on me. minutes before the Son of God was to come into this world, to leave his throne in heaven, he experiences his first rejection and says, we're sorry. I don't have room for you. And that's a picture of humanity. And that's a picture of God's heart that breaks for every person that he died for, that he sent his son to say, is there room in your heart for me today? Because I'll do anything for your love. I'll do anything. Matter of fact, I did. I sent my son to come in a form of a baby, to suffer, to die, to be held, to to help walk, to, to be fed, who needed help. And now he wants to help you. He wants to feed you. He wants to help you walk. He wants to help you rise up from the pit he wants to set you free he wants to forgive you his hand has come down not to punish you but with the willingness to put a nail through it for you for you that's how much he loves you his affection his heart his love his thoughts his hand has come to you this is the sign that you'll see a baby wrapped in a manger. A baby who can think the world into existence, who can stop a a storm in a sea, raise the dead, walk on water, can feed thousands out of crumbs, yet he comes in the form of a baby. (laughs) For you, for me, comes as the weakest among us. You know why? I believe this. And I believe he's saying to us this morning at Church of the Savior, I came as the weakest among you to let you know that I'm not offended by your weakness. I'm not offended by your failure. I'm not offended by your sin. There's nothing you can do that could ever shock me. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you. And my love for you is being extended one more time. He takes up residence in us. He feeds us, clothes us. I don't care how weak you are. God is saying today, I'm not offended. This is the sign, and this is what makes it good news. This message is not for the strong who think they got it all together. This is for those who will say, without God, I am nothing. And let me wrap myself in the rags of your life, and let me be God to you. See, I did that. I reached the point in my life 25 plus years ago where he wrapped himself in the rags of my life. I had nothing to offer God but my heart and my life and my disaster. And here we are in 2022. Another Christmas, seven days away, 
Will you let me in? Will you let me in? Do you have room for me? Do you have room for me? I don't promise to be anything but God to you. I'll forgive you. I'll save you from your sins. I'll feed you, lift you out. I'll lead you. And there's nowhere, no place, no ocean that I won't go to rescue you. Will you receive this gift of peace this Christmas? His arms are stretched down from heaven. I think in the first service, I think the message was that God wanted to give everyone a kiss from heaven. And I believe he wants to kiss you with his love and hold you in his arms and let you know your dad has it all. Your dad's got this. He's the peace you need. Will you let him give you his peace? In a moment, we're going to close out with some songs about how wonderful this name is. Anybody grateful for how wonderful the name of Jesus is? I said, anybody grateful for how wonderful the name? Will you let him be wonderful to you today? Will you let the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father and mighty God be God to you? Whatever you need, whatever you need to deposit into the hands of God today so that you can experience peace, the altar is open all during worship. Prayer warriors will be here to pray with you, but everything starts at salvation. Will you let him in? Maybe once and for all. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but with all the heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Jesus into your life right now, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, open up my heart to you. I have no peace without you. And I made a mess of things. But I heard today that you can make a masterpiece of my mess. So I repent of my sins and I turn from my sins. And I receive you today as the best Christmas gift I could ever receive and give out. Come into my heart, come into my life, and be a mighty God for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for writing my name in your book, never to be erased. And now I pray for that peace that I heard about to flood my heart so I can serve you and serve those around me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever you need from God this Christmas, the altar's open, and let's worship the name above all names, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Would you all stand and worship with me?
is nothing that can separate us from you. I just keep hearing that all morning. Isn't that such good news? Because of what he's done, nothing can separate you from him. So let's sing out this old hymn together. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master. so beautiful this morning. I've heard it before, but it, it, it just seems so beautiful with them singing it and hearing you sing it. And I just think the presence of God is so thick. I'm, I think I'm going to ask them to do it again, just that chorus or that song again. But I want you to sing it like you've never sung it before. I believe that God wants to wants to make his presence known and he has done that already but I think he wants to do something special with us as we continue to worship him I know we're out of time but just one more chorus of that it's just too beautiful to not do it again his name is wonderful his name is wonderful
whatever you need, what peace, deliverance, healing is available for you today. People will be here to pray with you. By the way, this is actually a three-part series. I'm going to do the conclusion of this talk this coming Friday at Encounter. It's free dinner at 5.30, service at 6.30. Our Christmas program is Saturday at 5 and Christmas service at 10 o'clock on Christmas Sunday. Don't miss it. Uh, we're here the whole weekend. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Go out quietly. Pick up your children. There'll be people to pray with you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you next week.